Oh man, good morning, good morning, good morning. How are we doing out there today? Ooh, I feel the presence of the Lord. I am excited to minister the Bible to y'all this morning. If you have your Bibles, we're in the book of Galatians chapter 4. Uh, it's Christmas time, and I have some great expectations of what is to come, particularly Christmas morning as my children uh, tear up the house. Um, you know, one of my favorite Christmas verses is found here in the book of Galatians. My uncle Ralph showed me this years ago, and uh, I, I often think of this verse around the Christmas season. I want to read, uh, starting in Galatians 4 and verse 4, read a few verses and pray. The Bible says that when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. And because you are sons... The Bible says that God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then you're an heir of God through Christ. Let's pray. Father, this morning, we just thank you for the sonship of the Holy Spirit that dwells within us. And I pray, Lord, for wisdom, revelation, understanding. And I thank you, Lord, for sensitive hearts, ready and willing to receive your word today. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And everybody said, amen and amen. You know, I, uh, I was thinking back about Christmases I could remember, and one of them came to my mind when I was about 14 years old. And I, I don't know, I found myself on that Christmas morning just feeling frustrated with, you know, the gifts that I had. I still remember some of them. It wasn't that I didn't really enjoy them. It, it, it's just I, I was some, sensing something uneasy within me, and, and somehow... From deep within, uh, I had this epiphany, almost like a revelation in my heart. And, and I began to ask myself the question, uh, am I spoiled? I mean, is that why I'm not really enjoying and frustrated with what I have? And it just kind of dawned on me. And since that time, I have really tried my best to appreciate certain things in life. I, I don't know how that understanding came to me, but it was just there in that moment where I realized... I need to have gratitude in my life. So, you know, in this series, we've been talking about things that we're grateful for, things you may not expect, things like the seasons of life that God has you in, uh, th things like adversity, which strengthens you. Last week, we talked about being grateful for your family, even the ones that annoy you at Christmas. Yeah. And, you know, I, I got to tell you something. I did my best to come up with a very cute Christmas message this week. Because Christmas is just a few days away. I want to talk about shepherds and snowflakes and candy canes. But I, I felt like God gave me a burden this morning. And I'm just going to, you know, if you want a Christmas message, you'll have to come out Christmas Eve. We'll be talking about the shepherds and the wise men. But the Lord stirred me, and he wouldn't let me go that direction. He gave me a direction very clearly today. And so this is for somebody. What I want to talk about is why I am grateful for correction. I am grateful for the loving hand of correction, the same, the same hand of correction that hit me on a Christmas morning when I was 14 years old. Yeah, this Bible says that when the fullness of time had come, that God set forth His Son, in verse 5 it says that He wanted to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. Now, th this is such an interesting thing. Uh, we have been redeemed from the law, and we have been adopted as sons. And that is a theological mouthful that has a lot of 
you know, doctrinal uh, complexities with. I mean, redeemed from the curse of the laws is, is an incredible thing. Uh, we were redeemed under that. You know, there's two parts to that verse. I'm redeemed and I'm adopted. And, you know, the redeemed part has to do with the fact that we're no longer subject to the law. You know, the law is the Old Testament and the first five books in the Bible, Genesis through Deuteronomy. It's the moral law of God, the civil and, and, and ceremonial law uh, uh, that he set forth. And, you know, you and I are, are no longer under that. Instead, we have been adopted as sons. Uh, we're not subject to that law. That is actually the theme of the book of Galatians. It's a great study about how God has set you free from a religious system, and he wants to bring you into relationship and a family with him. We've been adopted as the children of God, sons and daughters of God. Now, I want to draw your attention to chapter 3, just back a, ver- back a page here, back a chapter. In verse 24, it tells us that the law, that, that Old Testament system, it says... What was our tutor? That's an interesting word, one we don't really use much anymore. In the Roman world, what they had was a, a, a tutor who would visit homes, and in, in wealthy homes, it was almost like they had private education or homeschooling, where they would teach the children uh, how to read and write. And Paul justified the law, that the law was a tutor that brought us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. And he said, after faith has come, we're no longer under a tutor. The purpose of the law in the Old Testament was simply to point mankind to his need for a Savior. That, that Old Testament system that could never be kept, that no matter what you're doing, you had to be constantly reminded of your sins and your failures. And, and that, that's no longer what we're under. Instead, what you and I have been adopted into is the family of God. And he put the Spirit of his son Jesus in our hearts. The Holy Spirit is here, and he now is our teacher. He, he's the person that is actively at work teaching us and working in our hearts, and, and we've been adopted into his family. We're the sons and the daughters of God, and we inherit everything that he has to offer with covenant rights and privileges. And Man, what a blessing that is, because what he does is he teaches us how to love one another. You know, sometimes loving people isn't inherent to you. You've got to actively be taught it when the Holy Spirit corrects you in some ways. Uh, He'll convict you of sin. We'll talk about that a little bit. He'll bring the Word of God to remembrance, you know, and and inspire your faith. Uh, I mean, the Holy Spirit, you know, He's going to remind you of truth. And and that's part of being a son and a daughter of God. I thank God this Christmas season that I've been adopted into God's family. I mean, isn't it great to be sons and daughters of God? I mean, He's come to live within us and put a spirit. What a wonderful thing. But you know what? God is a loving father, and as a father, he's got a certain way of training his children. And I want to highlight it for you over in the book of Hebrews chapter 12. I want you to go there with me, and I want to show you this morning why I appreciate God's hand of correction. I was telling you, I was doing my best to find some elves and Christmas messages, but Robin got it up there for us with David and Dan and I dancing around, so (laughs) I'm just appreciative for God's guidance. I'm appreciative for the fact that he's dealing with me, working with me in my heart. And uh, I'm under his tutelage. I want to highlight for you uh, Hebrews 12. Look at verse 5. Uh, he said that you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as sons. You and I are the sons of God. He just said that he put a spirit in our hearts and he's working in us. But this is the way that God will deal with his family and his children. He said in this fifth verse, my son, my child, 
Do not despise the chastening of the Lord. Somebody say chastening. Chastening of the Lord. Nor, he said, be discouraged when you're rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens. And it says he scourges every son whom he receives. Now, this is why I am grateful for God's correction. Because chastening, the first thing it shows me, is that it's an act of kindness. It's an act of charity. Chastening is actually God's charity. It's his love. And he said that the kindness and love... I was reading what Paul wrote to his spiritual son, Titus. And he said that the kindness and love of God our Savior has now appeared towards all men. And what God is doing is he's working in you sometimes through chastening. And in the same way that the writer of Hebrews had to remind those people, you've forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as sons. I think in the same way today in the church, we've kind of forgotten the doctrine of chastening. I mean, I'm telling you, it's neglected in Christian teaching. Because really what's happening in so many ways is that God might actively be working in you through chastening. Listen, I think this is something that's taking place even in a larger scale on America. Because when I look around at what's taking place in our nation, I feel like that God has us in a season of chastening in the nation. It's something to really be watchful for. I'm really interested and concerned about what's going to come in the next year. I'm watching it closely because I can just sense God's loving hand of correction in our land. I just want to remind you all what's in the book because this book, the Bible that's in your hand, mentions things like judgment and wrath and damnation and consequences for sinful behavior. And it's like in some circles, you've got people who only want to be fed one diet of God's love and God's mercy and God's goodness. And I love all that, and that's true, but I'm just telling you that it might be that God is actively chastening you. It just might be. Have you ever considered that he might be working in you to correct you? He might be trying to get your attention. You might think, he has my attention. But the truth is, perhaps you're asleep. Perhaps the honest truth is that God may want more from you than you anticipated he might, than you presumed. He, He might actively want something like your heart, all of it. And so he works through chastening. Now, as I've understood chastening, you know, it happens in certain different layers. And the first level of what we could call chastening is the internal level. This is God's plan A. This is that still small voice in your conscience which is speaking to you as you read the Bible or you know, you're reading through devotions or you have a thought, and it's a corrective thought. You know, Hebrews 4 and verse 12 says that the word of God is sharp and powerful and able to divide between the soul and the spirit. In other words, he can penetrate your heart with a thought of truth. And man, I can't tell you how many times this has happened to me in my life. And it's usually about, you know, the way I've treated my wife, my mother, friends of mine. It usually has to do with something that I'm doing wrong or or something where I could grow in and I'll read a verse and it's like the Holy Spirit just draws attention to the fact that this is an area where, where you could grow, where to you is to say your place in my heart. And if that's ever happened to you, and I'm sure it has, my advice to you is to say yes, Lord. Just open it to him and accept his reproof, accept 
his correction because what it is is evidence that he loves you and he's working in you. And I'm grateful for when he does. I'm grateful for that Christmas morning at 14 when, when I realized, man, I just might be spoiled. That might be the whole problem right here. It was a gentle voice. Now, if plan A doesn't work, God will resort to plan B, which is what we could call an external form of correction, external chastening. You know, this is the kind of thing that, uh, you know, it's also known as a consequence. And sometimes the negative things might happen because bad decisions might have been made. This is what happened to Jonah. God called Jonah to go to Nineveh. Jonah went on a deep sea fishing excursion. And you know what happened. He got vomited up on a beach from a whale, from the belly of that great fish. It says, you know, he kind of came to his senses and decided to follow the, the Lord. And I, I have to say, I, in my life, I was praying back about this. I have really tried, since I have really walked with God, to, to listen to his, you know, rebukes, his chastening on, on, a, on a sonship level where, where he's dealing with me. Um, I do remember, though, when I was a teenager and in rebellion, uh, it was like nothing would work out for me. Every, I was constantly getting in trouble. I couldn't get away from all the consequences. I, I, and I remember one time, my dad had got me a little, a little uh, pickup truck. It was a small like Nissan with a stick shift. And he told me, he was like, now, you need to drive this responsibly. Don't drive too fast. But you know, when you're 16 and the frontal lobe hadn't fully developed, and it's a muddy day and you live in the country... I mean, I remember coming down the hill by our house, flying down that hill, through the mud, having a great time. I'm speeding, and, and all of a sudden, I came to where the driveway turned in, and somehow, I jumped over that and ran right into a boulder. And my dad, I mean, he about lost his mind. I said, Dad, that rock came out of nowhere, man. I don't know how. <laughs> but you know, in that moment, it was like that was God's chastening in my life. Self, man, I'm saying, I, 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 I've been warning you. Don't get too ahead of yourself. Man, I see this take place in people's lives. It might be through the police. It might be through bankruptcies. It might be through difficult relational problems. But, you know, my, my, my experience with this is generally external chastening will happen when you have not sufficiently prayed. If you've spent time with God and your heart is soft, it, it's like, man, he, he, can, he can turn it if you let him. But if it's, you know, not listening, that's where God's plan B will kick in. Now, plan C is something you ought to pray you never have happen to you. Because there is a terminal type of chastening. There's a sin, the Bible says, that leads to death. And this is kind of what happened to the generation of the children of Israel whose corpses fell in the wilderness. They, they, they would not heed God's correction. At the Corinthian church, they were getting drunk at the communion table. Some of them were getting sick. That's what the scripture says. And this is one of those things where you know, when God really is at his angriest, when he's the most frustrated, do you know what God does? He stops talking to you. He doesn't say anything. And not a hint, no warning, and judgment takes place. And you can read all through the Bible in the Old Testament when the word of the Lord became rare to people. And it's evidence of his judgment. His chastening is an act of love. And, and if you can hear his heart, the Bible says, don't harden your heart. I am grateful for God's correction in my life. It's how he deals with me as a son. But how good is it to have God dealing with you that way? And, and maybe this morning, maybe there's a teachable moment taking place in your life. Maybe there's some things that you're thinking about, hey, 
I have to make a course correction in some of the things that I'm doing. And I bet God has probably been whispering gently to you. And it might be somebody needs to heed the warning that God has said. Now, let me give you a second reason why I appreciate his hand of correction. Look at verse number 9. Hebrews 12, 9. Furthermore, he said, we had human fathers who corrected us, and we paid them respect. Man, it's the funniest thing. Uh, if, if I've got to spank my kids, respect suddenly kicks in. Things get serious all of a sudden. Yeah. He said, shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? And man, these, these verses are a mouthful. I'm sorry it's Christmas. I really did try. But this is what the Lord put at a burden. So, Let me give you a second reason I'm grateful for God's correction. It's because chastening teaches us to trust. You know, all God really wants from you, the thing that he wants the most in your life, is for you to just simply submit to him. I mean, he he really, that's all he's after. Just that I trust you, Lord, and I'm willing to submit to you. And this is something in my life that's taken really years to play out. For me to kind of just figure out the older I get, the more I just realize, oh God. And it's like, I understand that more than I ever did. You know, like I said, I'm 41 now. And it's like, I understand that more than I ever did. I mean, it took Jacob 21 years of wrestling and manipulating and trying to figure out life before he fully trusted God. It took Moses 80 years, 40 of which were on the backside of the wilderness tending sheep. I mean, Peter learned through failure and rejection and embarrassment, and pain. And the Bible says in Hebrews 5, 8, that Jesus himself learned obedience from the things with which he suffered. And and there's just something about submission and trust that has to do with being a son and a daughter of God. You know, I I think in the same way that we've, you know, neglected uh, the teaching of of chastening, I also think that we've forgotten uh, about this idea of submission to him and the fear of God. Uh, you know, what's interesting is when you read the verse, we should readily submit to him, and, and it says at the end there, and live. And it's almost like parenthetical. You almost read over it. If we submit to him, that's the place where we'll find life. And the life of God, it's something that happens spiritually in your life, but it has eternal significance. I mean, the scriptures say we ought to fear him, not who can you know, hurt your body, but who can cast your soul into hell. That's what the scripture says. And sometimes I think we forget about the fear of the Lord. He said readily be in subjection. Much more readily be in subjection. This tells me that when God starts dealing with you, when he starts correcting you, when he starts chastening you, when you really start, you know, his hand of don't do this, he's not doing it to punish you. He's doing it because he's got something better for you. Mm. Now, I remember one time, Titus, my my oldest boy, we were going to get him into preschool. And somehow I came across just enough money. It wasn't quite enough to cover the tuition, but I had some money to put down. And I was going to do that, but I felt a strong impression not to do that. Instead, I felt the Lord asked me to give it away. And I said, God, are you crazy? Like, I need this for school. And I wrestled with him, and I prayed about it. I spent time on my face. I remember that. And he, it was like I had that burden. He wouldn't let it go. So, you know, we, we sowed some money. We blessed some people. We did what... The Lord put it on our heart. And I remember just like the day before preschool was to start, we got a knock, knock, knock on the door from the woman across the cul-de-sac. And she said, uh, is your son's preschool paid for? Because I'd like to pay for it. 
I mean, it, it was just the most incredible thing. God had something better in mind. Covered the whole cost. See, when you just will submit to him, if he's chastening you, if he's correcting you, if he's trying to get your attention, it means that he's got something better for you. Now, I found his correction often happens in my attitude. I mean, that really is where the rubber meets the road, isn't it? It's the attitude that you have is really where most of your problems come from. Because when you start feeling angry or frustrated, that's the easiest place when you feel like you can just lash out at people. And it could be that when God's trying to deal with that, you got to just learn how to simmer down, calm down a little bit, just trust Him. A lot of times it happens maybe if, if people feel overwhelmed, they get stressed out. And this is where people get caught up with you know, addictions or they let vices take over in their life because they're trying to find a relief. And really what it is, it's an attitude that, that's it's kind of running wild and feels like it's got freedom to do something. And I found that if I submit my attitude to Him, that's where the peace of God will come. It's an attitude that needs to be submitted. Sometimes it's ambitions or your aspirations that you got to submit to. Man, Elizabeth and I had the privilege of going to Israel. Now, I've been overseas now uh, a handful of times, and it's funny. I like to try. And, and see, you get a little bit of a bug because you want to go back. You want to experience more of the world. You want to, and, and, and yet I found ourselves in a situation on one income uh, raising little children. And that aspiration had to be Settle down. Had to be laid down. Uh, I was in a church one time, and the pastor, you know, he was always talking about the vision God gave him, and he would say the church was going to grow and multiply, and, and, you know, he'd give real definite things. We're going to get to be this big, and, and we're going to have campuses here. And, and, you know, I just remember listening to him. Uh, and, you know, today the guy's no longer in the ministry. I felt like when we started, the Lord had given me dreams about the church. He said he was going to bless it. And I've been doing it for, you know, 15 years, and sometimes I feel like, man, God, are the dreams you gave me ever going to work out? And, you know, somewhere in there, there's a bit of an ambition and, and, and this aspiration to achieve success. And I found that the more I just lay that down and the more I give it to God, the more he blesses it. I mean, it's like the kingdom is upside down. If I just give it to God, he has the ability to do more with it than I could have. That's laying down an aspiration. And I see this in people's lives, man. I, I see they get caught up with all kinds of you know, things they want to you know, get in sports or adventures. And I, I'm pretty sure at some point in your life, there is some ambition, some aspiration, something that you want to accomplish that he might need to correct you on. Ambitions, aspirations, attitudes. And what about activities? I mean, chances are there's some things you've been engaged in and God has probably had to say, hey, you know what? This activity needs to stop. That happened to me because, you know, one of the things when I was in my rebellious years, I had such a great time partying and drinking. And it was one of the hardest things for me to quit. And I always have a soft heart for people who struggle with that because I know what it's like. I had a buddy one time. He told me that the Lord was dealing with him, that he could no longer go to the Fiddler's Green and make sports bets. He was like, we got to stay away. (laughs) We can't go back down there. God was just turning that, you know, lifestyle, that activity. It might be movies. It might be the fact that you're constantly on your phone, staring at Facebook, Instagram reels. That happened to me last night. I had to stop. (laughs) It's easy to get sucked up into something. And it might be an activity that God is saying, I want you to lay this down. And, And that is his correction. And I'm grateful when he talks to me about stuff like that. I want to fully and totally 100% submit myself to the Lord. Because I want God's best in my life. 
I want to give myself over to him. It just it requires my submission. Think about that the Christmas story with Joseph and Mary. And he found out she was pregnant, and it took a dream and a visitation from an angel to correct him so he would submit to what God was saying to him. That's a correction. that's That's a form of God saying, no, I want you to go this direction. That requires your 100% submission. I'm grateful for his chastening. I'm grateful. said that, uh, let me give you number three here. Look at verse number 10. It said that uh, your fathers, earthly fathers, indeed for a few days chastened us, corrected us, uh, as seemed best to them. Now, my dad was not a great disciplinarian. I remember one time he got very angry at me, and he went to grab his shoe for a spanking, but he was wearing slippers. And there was nothing more entertaining to an eight-year-old than watching your dad try to jump along and grab a slipper to go after you. (laughs) That's what he thought was best of them. Yeah. It says that that God, though, he chastens us for our profit, that we may be partakers of his holiness. The next verse, verse 11, says that spankings, no spanking, seems joyful in the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward... It yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Let me tell you why I'm grateful for God's hand of correction. I'm grateful uh, for his hand of correction because it produces righteousness in my life. Mm. Uh, You know, when I I think about righteousness, what righteousness is, is right standing with God. In other words, I can stand before him unashamed. The scripture says naked and open to him. And, and I can be bold and confident in that. And I have no need to fear or worry because God's not angry at me. And, and I, I'm righteous and accepted. The scripture says that through faith we've been justified. We can have peace with God. And I mean, how good is that? Chastening, we've said, is something that convicts you of sin But chastening in the same way has the ability not just to convict you of sin, but to convict you towards righteousness. In other words, that chastening can develop it and grow righteousness in your life. It stirs your hunger for it. It gives you a yearning to want to live godly. It is something inside of you that says, man, I want to do more. I want to excel at this. And that sense of righteousness and it calls it a fruit that's growing in your life. It, it happens as you exercise it, practice it. It's interesting how the verse uses the words. Afterward, it yields the peaceable fruits of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Somebody say train. train. You know, training, you know that word is the Greek word gymnazo, where we get the gymnasium from. It, it, it's like a, an exercise that you have, that God has the ability to exercise and train you in righteousness. Now, I was getting my hair cut this last week, and my hairdresser was telling me she hired herself a personal trainer. I said, hey, that's great. You know, I've been going down to the gym. I feel so much better. She said, I'm amazed at how just one month in, my body feels so much better. Just exercising, I feel like, man, I feel like I've never felt. And I said, did you quit smoking yet? Uh, She said, one thing at a time, one thing at a time. But I have been at the gym, and I feel physically better from exercise. Now, when you exercise righteousness, you know what you feel? You feel spiritually better. 
is called the peace of God. That's why it calls it the, the peaceable fruits of righteousness. The more you practice righteousness, the more peace you have. The more you love people, the easier it is for the love of God to flow. The more you give out and are blessing to people, the easier it is to receive from people. I mean, it's, like, it's an exercise thing. When you practice righteousness, when you're trained by it, when, when it's something that God is working in you, it becomes easier. And I'm thankful for that. It's through chastening. The scripture says that you and I become partakers of his holiness. What that tells me is that correction is the evidence that God is working in me as a son or a daughter. It means he's got a personal connection, a personal relationship that he's working to develop something in me. In 2 Peter, he said that we are partakers of the divine nature. We just read to you in Galatians how the spirit of his son is dwelling in us. And one of the evidences is the fact that he's correcting us that way. He's working sonship out in our lives. And that means you get convicted or stirred to do you know, righteous activities, loving and, and, and good works. They're flowing out of your life. And by the way, when he did it, when he does it, it says earthly fathers do it in a temporary way, but he does it in an eternal way. And if I'm not mistaken, 2 Peter 3 says that we're looking for a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. There's a yearning inside your heart to be in a place free from the contamination of sin and dwelling with righteousness. See, that one little correction can pay eternal dividends in your life. Now, this happened with, you know, our, our kid Titus. He's seven now. He was, you know, at the beginning of the school year having some problems. I'm not going to tell you what he's doing because it's embarrassing, but we couldn't have that behavior taking place in the home no more. And so we were correcting him. We were spanking him, and his behavior would not stop. So we had to move from the spatula to the belt. And uh, I remember, you know, he, he would admit that he was doing it or we'd catch him. And so he was getting spanked two, three times a day for four or five days straight with a belt. And you know, that solved the problem. By the, uh, by the end of the fourth day, we haven't had any more problems. And I'll remind him. I'll say, now, uh, did you do this? And he'll say, no, his eyes will get big. And I'll say, what happens if you do that? I, I will get a spanking. I mean, he's... That is a temporary correction that paid lasting righteousness, lasting fruit. And, and listen, that's how God works sometimes in your life. It may not be a physical spanking, because you wouldn't want to get him to physically spank you. That would be bad. I mean, it's just a zap of lightning. He, he, God's not angry at you. He's not zapping you with lightning. He's trying to work in your heart so that you're sensitive towards righteousness. That's what chastening does. Man, I'm grateful for the righteousness of God. I'm grateful I can stand before him. And you know, when I was praying about this, this is what I really felt stirred in my spirit. I believe that 2022 is going to be a great year for you, that he's going to bless you in ways that are unprecedented, that are exceedingly abundantly above everything you can ask or think. But for you to step into his blessing, you're going to have to have a heart that will turn at his rebuke. Proverbs 1.23, I love that verse. He said, turn at my rebuke and see if I won't pour my spirit out upon you. That's the first verse in the Bible that talks about his spirit being poured out, and it has to do with you being sensitive to his heart. Man, that's what I'm grateful for in this next year, man. That's what I want at Christmas. I want to see next year God's blessing in a way I've never had before. I'm telling you, it's ready for you, if you'll listen. Now, let me give you one last verse here. 
in the book of Hebrews 13, just over a page with me. And I felt drawn to these verses. Here's Hebrews 13, verse 20. It says, may the God of peace, man, I'm grateful for his peace in my life. We're just teaching you about how righteousness and peace work together. May the God of peace, who it says, brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead. Man, he's alive and well. Calls him that great shepherd of the sheep, a chief shepherd, a great shepherd, a good shepherd. That's who Jesus is. And I'll just remind you that shepherds have rods and staffs, and they're for comfort and they're for correction. Sometimes he's got to comfort sheep, sometimes for last wreck sheep. That's what shepherds do. It says, through the blood of the everlasting covenant. That's the sonship that we have with God, his covenant. That's one thing we could be grateful for, is a blood covenant. Through that blood, he's able to make you complete. In every good work, that word complete, uh, it, it means mature, it means uh, perfect, it means that God is growing you in righteousness to do uh, what is well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ our Lord, man. Uh, and you know what I'm just trying to tell you this morning as we close out is that the blood of Jesus is able to perfect you. There's power in the blood. There's life in the blood. You know what? That red liquid... The blood that you have in your body that's flowing through your veins, you know what it's doing? Is it's actually carrying poisons and toxins. And when it gets down to your liver, it filters things out so that your body can receive nutrients and things like urea, other toxins like that, they're disseminated. That blood is a filtration system. And in the same way, the blood of Jesus is able to get rid of poisonous sins, toxins, stains, things that have held you back. And what he's telling us right here is it's through the blood of Jesus that you and I can reach our full potential as the sons and the daughters of God. He, he can correct you because he shed blood for you. And when you and I come into his presence, when we, when we just there uh, in the blood of Jesus, we all come together as one and it's a healing and a cleansing thing in our lives. Amen. So we're going to go ahead and partake of communion this morning. Would you just stand up with us? And I know that... It wasn't Christmassy, but I felt stirred, man. I feel like somebody is going to step into a great next year of their life if you're sensitive to the Lord. Great things are going to come to you.